Community Voice Podcast, episode number 39. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of the Community Voice Podcast, where I am having conversations with people that I've had the honor of building incredible relationships with through the work that I've done as their coach and or their mastermind group facilitator. Or in much earlier episodes of this podcast and maybe much later episodes of this podcast, through any of the other products and services where people came along as a community member, became a paid client, and allowed me to have an opportunity to journey through life with them. That's kind of what this show is about, to show you an example of how business can actually be all about relationships. And for me, that's always been the case. Now, Leslie, I had heard of her many times prior to meeting her the first time, but I first remember meeting her at a conference, I think it was July of 2019. It might have been Ray Edwards Copywriting Academy Live. I will never forget the exchange that we had when she came out and said, what if I don't have a dream? And that was such a fun conversation. And so, not too shortly after that, uh, we began connecting. I invited her to join the Next Level Mastermind Group, which comes along with a minimum of a one-year commitment. And then she did join August 27th, 2019. And she was in the group, and you'll hear her mention this, but uh, she was in the group for almost two full years And she's got some amazing things that we're not allowed to talk about yet because some things are in transition. But uh, those who are in the know kind of understand exactly what train has left the station. So good things are in her future. And I'm just excited to share some behind the scenes stuff that don't typically come up in conversations when it's a hot seat or when it comes to a uh, coaching one-on-one. I learned some things about Leslie that I had never uh, had the privilege of knowing before, and I know that other people in the group that had been in the group with her for the nearly two years that she was in the group, and that's a lot of people, I, I knew that they would be eager to hear some of these uh, little behind-the-scenes tidbits into this friend that they've come to know. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Leslie Graham. <laughs> Leslie, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. How are you doing? I am amazing. I heard you, you, you heard the conversation with John Sanders. I did. I did. I heard he was did shocked it. to hear that you, anyone would listen to an episode of the Community <laughs> Voice. I'm personally offended by his questioning sorry, of the value of this episode, <laughs> of this show. John, what are you thinking? I think he only meant his episode. We'll listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She surely did not mean your podcast series. Oh, my goodness. Hey, did you hear that I recently launched another podcast? I read, as you know, I don't listen. I don't hear too much because I'm writing, but I, uh, I did read that you were doing a lot of podcasts. But the phone book, is the phone book the one you're talking about? Yes, Cliff's notes on the phone book. I was tempted to listen. I haven't had a chance. Well, okay, forget (laughs) episode number one. Just go straight to episode number two. 
Mark okay. Mason Mark Mason is featured in that episode. Oh nice. Yeah. So Leslie, um tell me, how have you always lived in Florida? Have I always lived in Florida? I spent the first six years of my life in Ohio. What? Yeah. We're at in Ohio. <laughs> A little town called Elyria, which is outside of Cleveland. Gotcha. So that's that, that that's like I think that's probably further away from me than than Nashville. Probably, probably what four hours, maybe. Yeah. So Nashville is about four hours. Okay. But Cincinnati, Ohio, is right across the river from me. Cincinnati's an interesting place. <laughs> tell me, tell me more. What what are what's your opinions of Cincinnati? I, I'd like well, to hear. Well, first that. of all, my opinions of Cincinnati are very dated. I have not been to Cincinnati since. Well, geez, um, maybe 1990. We don't, uh, you know, we don't drop turkeys from <laughs> helicopters for Thanksgiving, I, right? I know, but that was a great show <laughs> and one of the best episodes, actually. Um, I, it was just an interesting place. It, it there is the was the first time I had been to a city that literally you could walk under the freeway and one side was radically different than the other. Right. So one side was very posh city. The other side, very poverty. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first time I don't remember the name of the place. There was a place. It was a lady's name. Might've been a lady and a guy was the name. It was a rib joint. So Cincinnati, at least at that time was very popular place to go for ribs and there was this place they kept saying you had to go to, like Sally and Jimmy's or something. I don't remember what it was called. Huh. And, and they kept talking about this place and talking about this place. And sure enough, it was crowded, but like you had to go down a back alley <laughs> to get to the entrance. I'm like, where are we really going? Uh, it was a little, little scary, but <laughs> the ribs were good. They were right. I have no idea where that would have been because... The ribs are definitely a thing, but it's usually Montgomery Inn, or the definitely not an inn. Yeah, it it, well, it's not an inn either, but it's it's the Montgomery Inn is the name of it. But those are famous ribs. And then in in Kentucky, across the river, there's the the place that is rumored to have been owned by the mafia, which is Walt's Hitching Post. Nice. Different ribs, though. Um. All right, you want to talk about rabbit trail? <laughs> yes, I, that's exactly what I want to talk about. I was thinking, those might not be the kind of ribs humans want to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. So what I mean by that is uh, Walt's Hitching Post are ribs that are slow-cooked, uh, smoked over an open pit all day long, and when you eat them, the rib the actual rib meat still sticks to the bone kind of, you know, oh. it, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, if you go to Montgomery Inn Boathouse or the Montgomery Inn other locations of, of the ribs pl- joint, you order ribs there and their ribs literally, you, you could, you could get a slab of ribs, have them on your plate and you could just slightly hold your finger on the rib meat and take the bone and just pull it out. Mm, uh, so, so, that was like the place I went to. Yeah, like that. So that, that when I say different kind of ribs, that that's what I meant. Okay, 
no mafia ribs. <laughs> but 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 the guy, I think Walt might have had uh, ties to the mafia. Mm-hmm. That, that it it had a very gangster vibe. Wow. <laughs> and the place burned down several different times and got built oh back <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> oh my. So six years of your life in Cleveland, and then where? And then we moved to a little place called Pinellas Park, Florida, which I don't live too far from. So first of all, how, how, what, what was going on in your family dynamic with parents that had them in Ohio? And then why the move all of a sudden to Pinellas Park, Florida? Like, I've never even heard of this place. How did this family from Ohio make a decision to go to Pinellas Park? I don't know that I know the entire story. I was quite young. So most of my family is from the Ohio area or Pennsylvania. Uh, My dad's family was from Pennsylvania. My mother's from Ohio. And my dad had been living in Ohio when they met. And so that's where they got married. And that's where I grew up. And uh, there came a time when uh, my dad wanted to go back and live with his family, you know, in that area. It was what my mother tells me, but uh, she didn't want to live. She's like, if I'm going to live away from my family, let's go to Florida. Let's go where it's nice. Cause she doesn't like the cold. <laughs> ah. she, she would never live, live in Ohio again, but um, she loves it here. And how they ended up on this coast, I don't know. I remember taking a vacation near Jacksonville beach, which is totally the opposite side of the state. And I don't know how they found the house here, but what did your dad do for a living? At the time, my dad owned his own uh, service station, and he worked for Ford. So in Ohio? Ford at night. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In Cleveland. He worked for Ford in, at night on the night shift, and then he ran a station during the day. I don't know how he did it, but he did. And then my mother owned a beauty salon. And, 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 and so they, they own nothing. <laughs> that, yes, so that's what I want to know. How, how did they make a living when they got to Pinellas Park? Uh, it was a lot harder. A lot harder. Things were, things were a lot more difficult. So they tried owning a couple of different businesses. And they like never what? Really tell, me some, tell me some of the businesses. Uh, fence companies. My dad owned a roofing company for a while. Um, he did some other things, you know, car repair. Um, it, it was a lot of changes. They worked for the dog track. You know, we have the, the dog, um, well, the Greyhound races. No, I did uh, not know know. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Florida was a big gambling state. It's not as much anymore. So we had High Lie and uh, the Greyhounds all over the state. But there was a, a track near nearby. So I have never heard of Greyhound dog races before. Really? Now, I, I live in Kentucky, so I know all about horse racing. Mm-hmm. So is it similar, but it's just yeah, dogs? Too. We have that here, too. <laughs> it is similar. It is similar, but it is dogs, and they chase a, an electronic rabbit, goes around the rail of the track, and that's what they chase. Okay. Now that you say the rabbit on a track and they chase it, I have seen references to dog races before. Mm-hmm. I, it was a repressed memory for some reason. 
Wow. Why why would I why <laughs> would I work why. so hard to, to <laughs> repress a memory of dogs chasing a rabbit around a track? I have so, no idea. So how does this how does the dog races f- factor into your mom and dad making a living? They needed a job and and they did they what? Job. So my dad was a janitor and my mom sold tickets. At the dog at race the gate, part. At the gate, not at the gambling part. I mean, it doesn't matter that her job was just selling. She sold to people entrance. Gotcha. Yeah. So that, well, gosh, that's a, that speaks a lot into some of your experiences of, of your early thoughts and beliefs about entrepreneurship. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I took my first stab at it when I was like, I don't know, I think it was 10. Tell me more. Uh, I saw, I don't know if it was a commercial or if it was like an ad, I don't remember where I saw it exactly, but there was something promoting um, doing a car, a neighborhood carnival as a fundraiser for the Ronald McDonald House. And it inspired me to have a carnival in my backyard. And uh, the neighborhood I grew up in, uh, they didn't, nobody there had money. I mean, we, my parents loved, loved, loved going to the carnival and going to fairs. So occasionally we would get to go do that kind of thing. But most of the kids in our neighborhood, they did not get to go and do those, those things. And so we had stuffed animals that we won and things like that, that we just didn't want anymore. And so we would put them out and we'd make up games and we'd sell like lemonade and popcorn and all the kids would you know, dig up the coins out of the parent, their parents' couch and come to the carnival. So I want, hold on, let me make sure I'm following this correctly here. So you see this advertisement for a fundraising thing, host, host a carnival uh, for a fundraiser of the Ron, but you didn't actually sign up to host a fundraiser for the Ron. I asked my mom and she wouldn't let me. So you decided, I got an idea. How about we do a fundraiser for me? And we host, hey, is that what I'm hearing? Because that well, sounds it was awesome. Like down the road, I couldn't shake this carnival idea. I think it sounds and, awesome. And I needed money. And so, you yeah. know, I, I shot down. I, did, I wasn't old enough or just hadn't, didn't put two and two together to be like, well, I could still raise this money on my own and give it. I just, since I didn't have an adult to help me, I just did it. <laughs> I just did it. And I had actually forgotten about it until uh, a couple of years ago, my sister we were sitting around reminiscing and she's like, do you remember when we used to have those silly carnivals? And she was, Oh, you've had them. more than one. <laughs> we had more, yeah. Oh my we did gosh. Them, How we did often? Regularly. I, we did them for several years. I don't. How much money we did would you like pull make away from this? We would have like an inner tube and we'd attach a string to it and pull people around. Like, <laughs> what, yeah. were, you, were you making money? Well, I mean, for kids who had no money, we had some money. I mean, we'd have, you know, spare money to go to the mall and play at the arcade or whatever. Heck yeah. That that sounds awesome. I love it. Yeah. What what did what did your mom and dad think about it? The fact that you guys were hosting these carnivals. I don't, you know, I don't even know if they know we did it. Really? <laughs> they were never there. We do it when they were at work. I'm not sure they even know we did it. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Wow. That's so cool. All right. So when you were a kid Still in Ohio, what was some of your favorite like pastime activities? I mean, this was way before you were introduced into the carny world. So 
I, I actually went to Ohio every summer to stay with my godparents. So I spent all of my childhood in Ohio two, three months a year. Um, so I have a lot of memories of fun things in Ohio. Um, when I was younger, um, I don't, I mean, you don't have, it's harder to have to retrieve those memories from that far back. So I remember that we had a pool and in ground pool and I loved that. And I remember riding bikes in the neighborhood, you know, with the other kids. Um, I remember we had a cotton candy man in our neighborhood. So it was a guy, uh, I was, he would dress as a clown and he had like a, uh, it wasn't a motorcycle, but it was some kind of scooter motorcycle, something that had the cotton candy machine on the back. And he would stop and, and make cotton candy when you, you know, flag him down. And ice cream man, of course. Um, soft serve. So not like in Florida, the ice cream man is here's your popsicle yeah. <laughs> or your snow cone, but it was actual ice cream. Um, you know, did you sell cotton candy and ice cream at your carnivals in Florida? No, I would have loved to. We didn't know how to make that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing if there are any I threads here. Stuff. Popcorn, maybe hot dogs, Kool-Aid, lemonade. So, in, so you said that uh, you rode bikes through the neighborhood. So you were in kind of like a suburb area. There was we. Were, I was on the corner of the cul-de-sac. So the neighborhood was the cul-de-sac. But. So in your neighborhood, was it all housing like everywhere, or was there a little bit of wooded area from here? You know, here little bits and pieces of the woods here and there that you could ride through as well. No, no, why? Well, I mean, I was little, so I wasn't riding anywhere except right there in the cul-de-sac. Ah, that's but right. There, were, there weren't woods anywhere nearby. So did you do a lot of bike riding when you got to Florida? Yes, actually. Everywhere. You rode bikes or walked miles on a regular basis. Thought nothing of it. Now, <laughs> now it's like, it's two blocks away. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but I haven't ridden a bike in a long time. So one of the things that I know about you is that you do a lot of writing and you've written books. Right. Were books a big part of your life when you were a kid? And what some of your earliest memories of reading? So the reading, actually, my love for reading came from my godparents or from that family. So the reason how they became my godparents when my, my, um, my godmother, and I call her that she actually technically when I was baptized was not my, did not become my godmother because she had some health issues and it made it concerned my parents that she wouldn't be here. Um, but I call her that cause I don't, what do you call someone who's like a second mother to you and is married to your godfather? <laughs> so, so, uh, just to clear that up, but, um, well, she was a client of my mother's at the beauty salon. And when I was born, my mom needed a babysitter. So she and her daughter, who was 16 at the time, babysat me. It was only supposed to be for a short period of time. But of course, they fell in love with me. And of course they did. lasted the rest of my life. <laughs> I became family. And, um, and so they taught me to read when I was like three. They taught me to, I learned to read at a very early age. My godmother loved books and somehow that love of books got passed on through her because my family could have cared about books. And I don't know 
you know, I don't know if I would have still loved books without that influence. I may have, it just may be who I am, but there definitely was an early influence. So what are some of the books that you remember reading as a kid? Oh my. Um, Were you a Nancy Drew? I was a big Nancy Drew fan. Still am. Boxcar kids. Right. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. Um, So when my daughter was eight, um, I was looking for something we could do together to have fun. And the boys would play video games and she wasn't necessarily into that, but she, you know, she was in this little bit of a, a season where she was trying to figure out what she liked and what she wanted to do. And so I bought a Nancy Drew computer game so that we could play it together and solve the mysteries together. She was so not interested. She was so bored. But my son, my youngest son, who was four at the time, he loved them. And so for years, years and years, and we still, we keep saying we need to sit down and do an Nancy Drew mystery because we haven't done one in a long time. He's 21 now. (laughs) (laughs) For years and years, the two of us would sit and solve, solve the mysteries together. But um, yeah, that was Nancy Drew was definitely a big one. I read some Hardy Boys. I read a lot of stuff. Um, Wizard of Oz, you know, um, Little Women. I'm I'm trying to remember. I mean, just I spent a lot of time at the library. I don't know if I can remember all. I would get books on how to make costumes. Like I would get books on how to make things too. It wasn't just reading. But did you read Pride and Prejudice? I didn't. Really? Have you ever read I've it? I've seen the movie. Okay, so you've never movie. read it. No. So I had a little, so I'll, I'll go on a little rabbit trail. Recently, I've been introduced to the world of Pride and Prejudice. And I don't know if you know me, but when I get introduced to something, if I'm intrigued by it, I Are go. Are you doing a podcast? No. <laughs> I could, though. Um, so anyway, Stephanie and I were talking about the fact that, you know, she's like, Ah, oh, you should watch this movie with me. You should watch this movie with me. I love that and and movie. I'm like I I have walked in while you're watching that movie and it is quite literally I don't I can hardly think of anything that I would want to do less than to sit down and watch that movie. <laughs> oh, Mr. Darcy. That, 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 that's all I know about my that. My husband movie. watches it with me. <laughs> Amazingly enough, my manly man, fireman husband will watch that movie with me. So we're reading Midnight Sun, which is the latest installment of the Twilight Saga from Stephanie Meyer. And it's telling the story of the first book of Twilight from Edward, from his perspective. Oh. So uh, in the book Twilight, we know that Edward is trying to find out what's going on in the mind of Bella and he quizzes her about all of her favorite things. He he wants to learn everything he can about her. And so in the first in the, in the first book, Twilight, we just hear that he quizzes her. But actually, in Midnight Sun, we get to hear all of her answers because he's actually writing from his perspective all of the answers he's getting back from her. So uh, among her favorite books is anything by Jane Austen. And of course, Pride and Prejudice is mentioned there. And when it gets to movies, one of the things that she said is, I really love uh, Pride and Prejudice, the six-part miniseries put out by the BBC that features, um, oh gosh, hold on, give me just a second. What's his name? Colin Firth. And I'm like, I love Colin Firth. I I would watch a Colin Firth six-part miniseries 
produced by the BBC. So I said, Stephanie, do you want to? She goes, sure, I'll watch that with you. And so we watch it. And I fall in love with this story. It's like the girl who plays, um, uh, what what is her name? Eliza? I, I can't remember right now. But um, it's been it's been a couple months since I was introduced to it. But mm-hmm. I watched this and I loved Mr. Darcy played by Colin Firth. Uh-huh. And, and so this six-part mini-drama, it's like, this is amazing. And then, of course, I said, okay, now I'm ready to watch the movie that, that you watch. And, and of course, I'm now watching this mud- movie, judging it based upon my enjoyment <laughs> of the si- It doesn't sound the same because now I want to go watch the miniseries. Oh, you have to go see this miniseries. It's available. I purchased it on Amazon Prime. It, okay. it, it's, it's available there. But... Um, I, but I, I could understand now. It's like, okay, the story is actually a very compelling story. It's a good story. And the the movie that Stephanie had always watched, which is only like an hour and something, right? But the other but the six part miniseries is like almost six hours worth of content. Wow. And so it tells much more of the story that's actually in the book. And I'm like, how I, I, just, I said, I can't for the life of me understand how you could have fell in, fallen in love with this story with this condensed version of it. Um, and, and so and then, of course, we started listening to the audiobook on our way down to Nashville recently. We went to podcast movement. So that's my introduction into Pride and Prejudice as nice. a 48 year old guy <laughs> or 49. I really have no idea how old I am. anyway so there's my little rabbit trail for you so books you you would actually also learn to make things so where where what was your source of book material did you go to the library library school library initially oh until i learned how to get a public library card dude we would ride our bikes to the library did you guys in elementary school have book fairs we did. I love the book fair. Oh, I I was thinking yesterday about a book that I still have <laughs> that I got from the book fair. Now, thanks for reminding me because I need to go on my shelf and find it. But um, I, I love fairs. loved the book fair. My mom and dad would always give me ten or fifteen dollars every time the book fair was coming, and I went to the book fair and dude, I loaded up. <laughs> I loaded up and it, it was it was just like this is incredible I, I I don't I was not a voracious reader but for whatever reason I, I like to get lots of you books. didn't have to be the book I was looking for yes but, um it was a doodling book it was how to like you could use the alphabet or numbers and you could turn them into like animals or whatever yeah it was I, a, on how to draw so you I, didn't have to read i think i ended up buying do you remember those little things where it had a, a special invisible ink pen and you would color and it would I still have those. yeah so i would buy those and the connect the dots and and all that nice. other stuff but yeah, i love the, the i love book dots, dots too mm-hmm. book fair was awesome i yes scholastic I know, right? Come on, Schol- what a cr- what an incredible brand, Scholastic. <laughs> it's funny because I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Scholastic is the brand behind the Hunger Games series. If is, am I making that sure. up? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm gonna I'm not go- in the know on the Hunger Games. I'm gonna Google. I, now that's a podcast I have. Did you know that? Uh, yes, I recall. <gasps> 
It, okay, so check books in the Hunger Games Scholastic. So Scholastic.com, Hunger Games Trilogy. I'm just saying. <laughs> what else does Scholastic have? Uh, I don't know. Good? I have no idea, but I know Scholastic was responsible for the all the really cool stuff at the book fair. Yeah, I know my kids would bring home, you know, they got fancier, those book fairs, and they would come home with flyers. So you could like pick the books out for them that you also, that you wanted them to get. Did you, did you ever subscribe to the, what was it called? The Highlights Magazine for kids? Oh, I did not, but I loved it. Every time we go to the, went to the doctor, that was my favorite thing. Ah, oh, that was incredible. Oh man, I, I really missed, I, it's like, <laughs> I, this is some they fond memories. You can order them. Can you still get those? You can. They might even have them for adults. I'm trying to remember. I looked those up a while back, but yeah, they ah. still have them interesting you know my, my uh, when you and i first started working together i don't think i was a very i, I don't think i was very big into books at all yet oh my no <laughs> you were i don't read and i hate writing and I, they, I hate writing would always turn into a dissertation about how you loathed it actually <laughs> Yep. And I would say, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I I did. And and of course, I remember I did a podcast episode a couple of years ago. I heard Dan Miller say something that I vehemently disagreed with. And, <laughs> what was that? And I don't know that vehemently is a strong enough word for how much I disagreed <laughs> with what he said. It was something about, you know, wealthy people have large libraries and poor people have large televisions. And, and and it kind of pissed me off. And and I'm like, excuse me, I have lots of large televisions and I have almost zero books in my house and I consider myself to be an incredibly wealthy person. There's always exceptions. Well, I know, but it but but I I just I just hate the idea that says unless you read lots of books, you can't be a wealthy person. I, it, it just it kind of rubbed yeah, me the I wrong way. It, I think maybe more what he may have meant. <laughs> well, it wasn't actually something he personally said. He was actually it was a oh, quote unquote okay. quote that he oh, he okay. believed in and says yes, and this is how I can tell you it's true. And I'm like, and here's how I can tell you an, a, a case where it's not true. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just thinking. Interestingly enough, my son and I were having a conversation about that very thing earlier because I was talking about my business with him. He works with me and we were talking about the future of books and his, you know, his um, argument, if you will, we weren't arguing um, was that he believes, you know, the books are going to be around a long time, but unfortunately that, you know, it looks like we're that there are, the middle class is disappearing and we're at ending up with this separation and there will be a group who reads and a group who doesn't. And, um, you know, and, and in the most um, uh, industrialized societies, the groups that read tend to be the groups that make money and the groups that don't tend to be the people who don't have money. And, you know, we were talking about this, you know, the sadness of that because I didn't know he was telling me there's people graduating from high schools right now that cannot read. I didn't know that when you and I were, well, when I was a kid, which is a little bit earlier than when you were a kid, <laughs> I can remember the push for adult literacy. I can remember 
seeing on television or film, I, I can remember a video present representation of adults crying when they learned to read. And I thought, how in 2021 are we graduating kids from school that can't read beyond a, you know, like a kindergarten level? How is that possible? And so that was kind of the, the discussion we were having. That's yeah. There, I do agree that there's, I mean, I, 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 what I have learned is uh, since that recording that podcast episode, it is generally true that those who read tend to lead, uh, right. you know, and, and, and there is something there. The only, th- and, and I think there are those edge case scenarios where somebody just reading is not what is their thing. It's not their preferred right. method of, of doing things. I've since learned what an autodidact is, and I didn't realize that I was one until I discovered what an autodidact is. Are you familiar with autodidactism? No. It is somebody who is able to acquire mastery of a skill without the aid of a teacher. Wow. So, I, for example, I have never in my life ever read a single chapter of a computer book. I have never signed up for a computer course, except for in college. Uh, when I was in college, I signed up for Computer Science 101. I walked into the classroom. They said, here's the book that you're going to need for this book room. And I looked around, and I'm like, where's the computers? He says, there are no computers in this class. I immediately went to the bursar's office and dropped out of that class. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah. Uh, you can't, but so, so, um, yeah. So when I was, gosh, when the, I don't know how old I was, I was in my mid, you know, single digit years, but, uh, when the, my dad had got a Commodore Vic 20 computer Mm. and it, it had this little device, you plug it into your television, had a cassette player for you to store data onto it. And you plug it in. The first one. (laughs) You plug it into your computer, and it literally does nothing. There's a blinking cursor on the screen, and that's it. Right. And so I open up the manual, and I literally taught myself how to code basic programming. Wow, that's impressive. And and I had a teacher and a book and video. So I. But the thing is, is I never read the book like from step one, step two it's like listen this is too boring for me let me go in and and find a sample code i will type it in as it's displayed in here and see what happens and then from that i began well i wonder if i typed in this what would happen and and it was trial and error and so that's how i taught myself how to code yeah i don't i don't that you know as with a background in education i don't think you only only readers learn either because i mean my youngest son learns best by hearing. Um, most of us probably are visual and, you know, the reading is certainly a part of that visual thing and it's very helpful. I think, you know, actually most of us are probably a combination of learning styles, but I still believe you should have the ability because it's just as much as I tend to be a glass half full and want to think everybody's wonderful kind of person, the reality of the history of the world is the world isn't, is not a wonderful place for a lot of people a lot of times. And that's just one less place that people can pull one over or trick you, right? If you only are listening to what someone's telling you or what they are showing you, you know, your eyes can deceive you. We've all seen magic tricks. Um, 
just to have the ability to be beyond that. And if you wanted to read, to have that ability, I think super important. Yeah. My, I, I, I'm tracking with what you're saying, but at the same time, I think really what you're speaking to is the discernment and the ability to critically think and discern truth from what you're being told. Because just as much as I might learn and be had one, you know, pulled over my eyes or whatever by hearing their stories, whether it's a teacher or this or a television program or whatever, the, the truth is, is that there's plenty of books out there that are called history books that are nothing more than his story. And they're mm-hmm. typically told from the perspective of the person who won the out the conf- the outcome of the conflict. Well, there's other books that are from the other side. Um, no, I get know, it. I know it depends where you're, what libraries you're looking in. Now you're in a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of a particular um, teacher that I learned some things back in my health days who didn't believe in um, germ theory as we understand it. And, and uh, most of us are, you know, Louis Pasteur, right? That's where we all get all our stuff from. I can't think of the scientist that he argues was actually more correct, but I know that he actually traveled to France to go to the libraries where they had his actual writing so he could see, you know what I mean? So um, I don't think all of us are (laughs) going to go through those lengths, but it's nice to know that it's possible if you want to. Well, the the thing for me and and to continue, uh, so I used to hate reading, despised Mm -hmm. it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was forced to consistently read things and I would be tested on things that I had Um, absolutely no interest in. And of course, this went all the way back to high school and English literature classes of Mice and Men. Listen, I, I, I did force myself to read that. It was a waste of my time. Um, <laughs> what, what is that? I, the, I, I don't. I understand the Black Crow or something. The I, I, I the Raven. I think it was Raven? Called, the Raven. Yeah. Raven. I, no, I never read that one. I I, I got F's on that. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, but I was a I was a big uh, my my love for mysteries grew into a love for um, horror stories. As a teenager, I read a lot of horror books. So. so I had all of these assigned books that I'm supposed to read and I'm supposed to, and of course, thankfully they had Cliff's notes and I didn't feel bad using them (laughs) because they were made for me. That's right. (sighs) I studied Cliff's notes quite frequently and I was, but I will tell you, it bored the heck out of me to read the summaries of books. I, I despised reading a summary of a book as much as I despised reading the, <laughs> the book. Uh, well, so it's a good thing by the time you got to college, they had video, right? A lot well, of those books you didn't have to read. You could just go watch the video. Well, actually, in college, I specifically dropped out of every class that required a lot of book studying. And uh-huh. I geared myself towards all uh, teachers or professors who taught by lecture. Okay. So get this. 
I, of course, I, I was an early adopter. So I'm, you know, 1992. I'm the only kid in class walking in with a laptop that's about seven <laughs> inches thick. How heavy was that thing? <laughs> it, it was heavy. And the battery only lasted for like 30 minutes. So I had to bring the plug and hit sit in the back of the classroom. That's but, funny. But I also typed 65 words per minute because I sat I, in the all girls typing class because no men I, wanted to learn how to type back in the day. But man, I was typing away and I literally transcribed every word my professor ever spoke. Nice. So wow. I would I would I could type it as fast as he could speak it, and everything he said, I I I typed. And it was just hearing it. Right. And then typing the it, see, and I so I heard it. I tactile typed it. I visibly saw it on my screen. Right. Not once did I ever review those notes, and I wow. passed. I got an A on every test. Nice. So, and of course, I also made. By the way, I made tons of money uh, selling Cliff's <laughs> Cliff's notes on the you class. Had a little carnival, is that it? I did. <laughs> So, um, so I, so I left college and once, once I left college, I'm like, I will never read a book again because I'm not required to. And and I never consciously said that, but that's. But you made a decision somewhere. Somewhere I made this decision. And then all of a sudden I, I'm, you know, I'm venturing out into this world of self-employment and, and, you know, I, I read this book from Dan Miller is the first book I ever read that made me come alive inside. I mean, other than the Bible, I mean, don't get me wrong. I used to study the Bible a lot, but that was different. It was, and, and specifically my, a big problem that I had was the expectation. If you're going to read a book, you have to read it from the beginning to the end. Uh And so, but I did read Dan Miller's 48 days to the work you love. And that book spoke directly to my heart. I consumed that book in no time and then I read the four-hour work week, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I made it all the way through that one, too. And there was a handful of books that I read for the first few years. But then a lot of people said, well, then you need to read this one. You need to read this one. And, I, and as soon as they started doing that and people handed me the suggested reading list, I got to the same thing. I would get about a half a chapter in, and I'm like, okay, this is boring. And, of course, in my mind, you cannot ever go into a new book until you finished the one that you oh, previously no. had. <laughs> and I did not know that I had this. this. This was These were unconscious beliefs that I had. But then all of a sudden, I, I got to the place where I'm like, you know what? It, Tony Robbins said this. He says, listen, I'll spend thousands of dollars and I'll go to a conference and I may only pull, come away from that entire experience with one insight. But if that one insight, I can apply it over and over again, and it will have been worth it. Right. And I'm like, I wonder if I could take that approach to reading books. And I began to read. And by the way, so so far, I just looked. I, I pulled up QuickBooks. I have already invested over $1,500 in books in 2021. Wow. And I am currently in the process. I'm jealous. <laughs> I am currently in the process of reading 27 different books right now. And I read wow. an average of three to five hours a day, seven nice. days a week. You're inspiring me. <laughs> I don't read like I used to. I have a library. Of, I have a nice stack of things I'd like to read <laughs> that I bought. But uh, I've sat there and I haven't read. Or I've flipped through and just find what I need at the moment. But um, yeah, 
I, I'm excited about reading again. That's that's. I just wanted to share that. It's like oh, I'm so excited because I love reading. Who would who would have ever guessed? Yeah, I have. I have. I, I somewhere along the line, I got addicted to learning as an adult, and so everything that I read was basically not exactly a how-to, but it was learning about business or it was learning about something. It was always education-based, information-based. And um, I don't remember what year it was, 2010. I don't remember what year this book came out. But I just I made the, the choice, one decision one day. I'm like, I'm going to go to the bookstore and I'm going to find a book just for fun. And um, <laughs> it, it ended up being The Shack. <laughs> oh, that was a so, good book. That was a great book. It was a great book. The movie was good, but it didn't, the book was really good. Um, and uh, so that was, that's the only fun, the only quote fun book I've read probably in two decades. But do you know um, my connection with The Shack? No. So it was w- written by William Paul Young. Mm-hmm. All right. But it actually wasn't written by William Paul Young. Oh. So if you go and pull your book, you'll see that it was published by Wind Blown Media, okay. which was co-owned together between Wayne Jacobson and Brad Cummins. Have you ever heard of these names? Mm, I, I'm not, not that I know of. Have, you, I, I have you ever heard of the God Journey podcast? No. Okay, so they have a podcast, or they did for many years together, called the God Journey podcast. It still goes today, but Wayne does a lot of it without Brad these days because Brad has hit, you know branched off into some other things. But anyway, what happened was William Paul Young had the story of the shack, but it was nowhere near what you read in that book. Mm-hmm. And so basic people told Paul, you should write a book. You should write this as a book. You should write this as a book. And so he, I don't know how he got interacted with Wayne and Brad, but the three of them came together. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Windblown Media Media may have actually been created for this project, or I, I, I don't know that. But anyway, this so basically Wayne and Brad and Paul together took. Paul's story of what happened to him in this experience and this I and this and, and but then it was it, literally the brains behind this was Brad and Wayne. So wow. everything that is awesome about that book is is literally Wayne Jacobson and Brad Cummings. And so that's the story behind that. But anyway, I I read The Shack and it was one of those things that was super Wait a minute, com- what's your connection? Hold Did on. I miss something? So oh, okay. So it was it was super controversial back in the day, and I was doing a show called About the Church. It was. Like, it wasn't yet when I was reading it. It wasn't as popular yet when I read it. So the, this was this was one of those show the, things, and I was still very much on the other side, you know. It, but mm-hmm. I was starting to break out of of my conditioned belief systems. So I'm like, you know, I don't see why this is as con- controversial as all these pe- pastors are making. I, I think some of them haven't even read the book, and I understand their concern about God being featured as a woman, as a fe- you know, black woman, and all this, uh, all these other. But come on, it's theirs. But it, it bumps, but butts up against some theology. God's been a bush too. Yeah, <laughs> it meets you where you're at. <laughs> so anyway, um, I actually met Paul Young. And I, Stephanie and I have a, we're doing Family from the Heart. We, 
uh, have a, a bumper that says, hi, this is Paul Young from The Shack, and you're listening to Cliff and Stephanie from Family from the Heart. So that was uh. back in the day. Hold on, but that's not the connection. Later, oh. I, I had uh, decided that things are not going right in this institutional life of Christianity that we've been a part of our entire life. And so our friend Sarah came over one day, and she says, have you ever heard of this book called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore by Wayne Jacobson? And I said, no. And so, and she told me about it. And so that night, I read that book. I read the entire, I did not sleep that night, read the book all night through. And the next day, I decided I'm never going to church again. Oh. I quit going to church. And that was a massive turning point for me. And that's when I started talking to some other people. And they said, you know, Wayne Jacobson has a podcast called The God Journey. And so I started, I listened to probably a hundred hours of The God Journey podcast within like two months. No kidding. A hundred hours of it. So there there were that many episodes and then some. And um, I started emailing Wayne Jacobson, and then Wayne Jacobson and I become friends, and there are several podcast episodes where Wayne Jacobson and I are co-hosting a podcast together in my podcast content. And uh, yeah, anyway, so Neat. that's that's my connection to The Shack. I actually know a bunch of stuff that I'm not at privy to say publicly, so... Oh, sorry. There, there's more. There's mic off. Turn the recording off. <laughs> what, what, Paul Harvey. And now for the rest of the story, I'll I'll just leave it there. But yeah, it's it, it's 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 been fun. So I I love the shack, and that was an incredible thing. So tell me, since you're an insider, because I my memory could be tricking me, but if I remember correctly, one of those or all of those authors were writing a second book. There was oh, a book yeah, Paul, that was out about the Apostle John still walking the earth. And they were putting chapters out as they wrote them. But there were such long spans in between, somewhere along the line. I lost track of that site. Don't even remember the name of it. But it was really good. It was really good. And I always wondered. I was actually thinking about it a few days ago. I wonder whatever became of that book. Huh. I don't know. I've not heard of that. Because um, I wasn't privy to this at that time when this all came out and right after that. Now, I do know that w- I've heard since that William Paul Young is what I now understand is a universalist. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that term? I am. Mm-hmm. And that he actually did write another book. Uh, it, it wouldn't have had partnership with Wayne and Brad. Right. Uh, but um, anyway, he's he's since written a- another book that was even further controversial than the shack uh but it has his his perspective of universalism yeah and it may not even it may be that my memory is remembering it wrong and i just came across that at the same time um i don't even know how i'd find it now i don't know if the work ever got finished or if it's still out there well let's watch this so check this out this is i'm i did you know that i'm a master googler are you i'm pretty darn good at it myself so let's see we're gonna put shack uh, let's see here the Shack sequel. It's not a sequel. I, I, I know, but trust me, this is this is how okay. Google will work. The Shack sequel book. John, did you say John the Baptist or the Apostle John? Uh, the Apostle John. Mm-hmm. All right, see what pulls up. Uh, author of wildly successful. Uh, okay, author of wildly successful. The Shack writes sequel, and here we go. Uh, the Mansion. Nope, that's not it. All right, so that's not it. Okay. 
Uh, let's go here. A false god to bring you comfort in the shack. Okay. What does the shack <laughs> say about your Come pain? Come on, you know where that's going. Yeah. The de- uh, a, let's see here. The deception of the shack. I love these people. The shack heresy part two. <laughs> the shack revisited. All right. Hold on. Let's see if, okay. The Apostle John still alive book. So, I wish I would just remember the title of, or at least the, what the working title was of that book at the time. Was it The Last Temptation of John? Mm, I don't think so, unless they changed the... No, this was literally, like, it was about just a regular everyday guy living his life, and he bumped into this guy named John. And then after that, this John would always pop up at these... Oh! Perfectly kind moments. Oh, that, you're talking... No, it's called what? It's called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. That's what? it. Yes. Get out of town. Yes. We changed the name of it probably. <laughs> so, so okay. So let me hear. Let me. I'm pretty sure because what you're. Yeah. It, it 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 didn't actually say that he's the Apostle John. So that's no, why I didn't. it was sort of like you. So like you, you were left wondering: is is this? Yeah. There was so, something in the book that. Let made me go. You this, so this is it. the book that I was just telling you about. Here is okay. Um, Jake Coulson. An overworked and disillusioned pastor happens into a stranger who bears an uncanny, yep. re- uh, uncanny resemblance in manner to the Apostle John. That's it. Mm-hmm. A number of encounters with John, as well as his family crisis, lead Jake to a new understanding of what his life should be like. One filled with faith, faith bolstered by a steady, close relationship with the God of the universe. Facing his own disappointment with Christianity, Jake must forsake the habits that have made his faith rote and rediscover the love that captured his heart when he first believed. Compelling and intensely personal, so you don't want to go to church anymore, relates a uh, man's rebirth from performance-based Christianity to a loving a loving friendship with Christ that affects all he does, thinks, and says. As John tells Jake, there is nothing the Father desires for you more than for you to fall squarely in the lap of his love and never move from that place for the rest of your life. So there you go. We're talking about the same book. Here I am trying to Google for the same book I was just telling you about. When when he was writing it, um, he would post chapters and then I don't remember if we gave feedback on it or I just remember I'd be like, where's the next chapter? But I don't think I got really far. I, I want to say six, seven chapters. Maybe I don't know how many chapters are in it. You should go get it. It's I, I, it, it was, I, I was still in the, who is this guy? <laughs> phase of it. I want to know who this guy is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I have not read that book since 2000. It would have been 2011 or 2010. Um, but yeah, that that's the book, and it's incredibly powerful. I'll check it out. Yeah, Wayne Jacobson, and I think he wrote it with Jake, uh, co-hosted or co-authored with Jake Colson. It might have been his name. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, great book, and that's the exact book. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have. It's like, <laughs> oh, wait a second, may, I do remember it was John, and I, maybe that was this, and but but I I didn't put the two and two. Together. It's been years. It's well. been a long time. Thank you for remembering. Yeah, that's fun. I love just how co. Do you want to know something I've heard recently? What? Go ahead. It's about. Yes, I do. It's about listening. So there was this 
person on TikTok, you know, the the great prophets of TikTok. <laughs> uh, this person, he says, listen, uh, or th- let me tell you, don't do this when listening to someone else. Don't listen to respond or to react or whatever. So when you're listening, don't sit there and listen so that you can kind of get an insight of or an inspiration of what you're going to say next. Instead, completely ignore that. It, 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 whatever you're going to say next will come when it's your time to contribute. But imagine a conversation when you are in conversation with somebody that you're listening to everything and that the two of you are working on a blank canvas, co-creating a wonderful piece of art. And I love that. Yeah, that's nice. I wasn't sure which direction you were going with the TikTok profit and all. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. You're just going to get me on another road for sure. No, so... Uh, I don't TikTok, but... uh, Anyway, <laughs> my, I, I, you, I have this habit of sometimes picking up some mannerisms of people that have been influential in my life. And there was a pastor, his name is David Foster, passed away a couple years ago. Uh, but he would always in his sermons he, and, and, or in his podcast, he says, you know, the great, pof, the great prophet Kermit the Frog. <laughs> so he would the great prophet of and and he would insert somebody who gotcha. obviously is not considered to be a great prophet right. but a, but nonetheless was a source of a wise word that i'm going to share with you now gotcha so you're not being derogatory you're actually being complimentary exactly <laughs> yes Oh, there are some interesting great there's some interesting prophets on TikTok. That's what that's what I was thinking about. But uh, you know what? I had to actually go in and fix my algorithm again. I I was getting too far down the conspiracy theory um side of TikTok again. Have you oh, ever wow. have you ever been on do you do the TikTok? I don't do the TikTok. No. That's the fine. TikTok that makes me laugh. Yeah. Um no. I I I try to I, I do Facebook. That's enough. I do Instagram stories in the morning. Some I have some people on there that are fun to to watch, and that's it for me for social media. Yeah, I have patience for it, and it can really. If you're not careful, it can draw you in. So um, I know I want to be respectful of your time, and we're scheduled to end right about now. Do you have just another few minutes to sure. answer another question yeah, or two? Ahead. So there are going to be people who are listening to this that we're in the next level mastermind with you. And I, they'd probably love to hear an update of what's been going on in your world since, uh, since they last connected with you in the next level mastermind. Oh my, um, not sure how I want to answer that. (laughs) Um, it's all good guys. It's all good. Uh, let's just say some of the things we talked about that I put off for a very long time are in motion. And, um, so that way people who are in there know what I mean. <laughs> and everybody else is like, what does she mean? This um, is what we call very esoteric knowledge. Um, yes. In the mastermind. For those who have What's ears in the to hear. Stays in the mastermind. <laughs> yes. So for those of you who have ears to hear, um, feel free to reach out. But the train has left the station. <laughs> the train has, it ain't going back. And, it hasn't got quite to the next destination, but it has left the, left the station. Yeah, there's no turning back. Yeah, the momentum um, has the momentum is at such a a degree that it it will not be stopped. Correct. I love it. I'm excited for you. Me too. It's a very exciting, you know, 
scary it kind of exciting like it's exhilarating um not and when i say scary i don't mean fear i don't know how to explain it well scary in an exciting way yeah like you're doing something new and you don't really know how it's going to go you just know it's going to be good it's kind of like going into the house of mirrors or one of those little carnival uh you know funhouse kind of deal it's like i'm entering a new funhouse right let Leslie Les, basically for for those who are not in the know, Leslie's relaunching her carny career. And <laughs> she's no, she's no, found no. a way to do online virtual con- carnivals. That could be fun. <laughs> that there's if a way. You, I did find a new um. I did find a new app, a new software where you can do um, online like instead of Zoom. It's, it's called go brunch and we have had so much fun. Um, my, I have, I have a very small team, but my team and I, we got in there one day to try it out and visually on the screen, you're in a classroom or at a conference table or however big or however small of a event, you know, you want to have, you can leave and go out to the break area. And so your you know, your little picture shows it's so much fun. I can't, it sounds silly, but it was so much fun to it's the same you're talking the same but all of a sudden you see yourself on the screen instead of just seeing these side-by-side squares you're in you're at a table or you're in a big auditorium or whatever the case is uh, you know are you, you an avatar yes yeah but you but it's your video like it, it can either be a, a still avatar a photo or it can be your video interesting mm-hmm. and what's the name of the service it's called go brunch go brunch mm-hmm. right Awesome. I don't know if it's, I found out about it on AppSumo, of course. I don't know if it's still on there, but I love it. It's a lot of fun. Very cool. I'm looking forward to, to uh, using that more. Awesome. Hey, one last question for you. This is the shameless self-plug uh, section of the show. Uh, if somebody were thinking about becoming a member of the Next Level Mastermind, making that one-year commitment, but they're hovering on that, they're on the, they're on the fence, they're thinking about submitting an application to the next level mastermind. What would you say to the person who was where you were when you were making the decision to join the next level mastermind? Wow. I mean, for me, it was, it was a God moment. So I had a lot of indications that this was where I was supposed to be. And the only thing I needed was my husband to say, yes, you know, you can spend that much money because you know, big, big purchases like that we discuss. All I can say is my life changed in so many ways, so much so that when the one year came up, my husband and I had an agreement. It was for one year, one year only, and then it was his turn to do something. But when the one year came up, he said, you have to stay. So there was so much change in me and in our lives. And it wasn't that we had, we didn't have bad lives. We had, we had good lives. They just got exponentially better. And he saw the progress and he's like, you have to stay, right? So then I stayed on almost a whole nother year. If you're looking to have your life changed in, in an accelerated way, you could, I could have maybe got to that same, I don't think I would have got to the same place. Let's be real. The feedback from the group changed my life. <laughs> like, and my business that I own now, I would have never had. I don't know how I get to here without that, without them and you, but um I would do it. Just do it. 
<laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're needing and you're needing input and you're needing coaching and you're at a place where you're just, you know, you're, you're needing something to get you out of wherever you are right now, just do it. Leslie, it is always good to connect with you. I want to invite you to continue Likewise. to reach out to me and share with me updates as the train reaches each new destination <laughs> and stop I'm, along I'm the way. I'm super excited for you. And I hear Kevin Davis's book is uh, not too far out into the future. I am very excited about Kevin Davis's book. Um, it's, it, we've has, it's gotten bumped a little bit cause it, we've reshaped it from where you know we originally started, but, um, I think that it's, you know, it was a, definitely the right move. He's great to work with and, um, I'm excited. I can't, I'm for him. I can't wait for us to have this done so that he can get it out to people. And if anybody's listening and they're like, Hey, I'm ready to have Leslie help me turn something into a book. It's over at turn it into a book.com. Correct. So there you go. Turn it into a book.com. Leslie Graham. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cliff. Well, there you go. That wraps it up for another episode of The Community Voice. I love doing life with people. And not just paid clients either, but I can tell you there's something special about having a relationship with a paid client that goes beyond a transaction. And something that, to where there's so much skin in the game on both sides. My investment in that person for over a year, or at least a year, I should say, and that person's financial investment in their own personal growth and the skin in the game of that leverage that says I'm gonna take action and get a good return on my investment here. But just the opportunity to do life so intimately with these individuals. So far, practically everyone I've ever had as a paid client, I would consider a very close friend, somebody that I love dearly. And I'm just so honored that we have this opportunity to have businesses where it's not about the numbers. And I'm not to shame anybody who has a business that operates on the numbers and where they have almost no interaction or relationship with their audience or their community or their clients or their whatever those people are called that buy their products and services for them. I'm I'm not shaming anyone else, but I got to tell you, I love the fact that I found a business that's in alignment with my desire to have meaningful relationships. And most importantly for me, uh, and and the gifting and the talent that I think is is my greatest gift is encouraging conversations with other people. So anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back with some more Community Voice before too long. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset and